0: Starting this new series called "Born for This," it's on the Book of Esther. Uh, I, you know, it's a book probably a lot of us have read over the years and studied. But it, the idea here is we want to look at this uh, and, and see what God has for us. Okay. Now, uh, have, have, so have any of you ever thought to yourself, whether it's about your work or about a hobby or about some talent, you, you ever heard you said, "Man, I was born for this." You ever said that, or have you ever heard somebody say, it? "You know, man, I was just I was born for this," right? What, why do people, when, when people say that, what, what do they mean? What do people mean by that? It's their passion. It's their passion. Purpose. Purpose. Yeah, yeah. Wait, wait. Well, it's, it's something that just comes naturally a lot of times. Yeah, it just, it just sort of comes out of them, right? You know, it's almost like they couldn't help but do it. I mean, it's, right, so I mean, when people say it, it's like, man, this is just where I'm, sp-. it's like, I've, okay, sports guys right, will say, like, he's in the zone, <laughs> right? He's in the zone, right? I mean, it's just like it's like it's that moment when it's just firing all, all, all cylinders, right? You, you know where you're, that you are where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be doing at this moment, okay? Well, so that's really what this, this next few weeks is going to be all about, okay? It's going to be about, you know, being born for this. So look, what we want to do then is, and when you think about the book of Esther, I mean, born for this, man, how does a little Jewish girl from an unknown, you know, unknown not, not a you know, big name or anything, just this unknown little Jewish girl named Esther, go from being you know, a, a, an unknown person in ancient history who no one would have ever known her name, no one would have ever known anything about her, how does she all of a sudden become queen? That right? I mean that, that just doesn't happen. I mean you know right? I mean you know like how does some unknown you know I was thinking about American become a princess? I, I, don't know, I guess I guess those things can happen right? But to really fully understand this, let's take just a moment. Let's go back and let's look at Jewish history in the Old Testament just to kind of get a running start for where we are uh, with with what's going on in the Book of Esther. So to begin that. Let's go to 2 Kings chapter 25, and we need to read a little bit about what had happened. And and so where we are right now in 2 Kings 25 verses 1 to 11, we're actually about 100. I'm rounding numbers here a little bit, okay? The math is, you know, too hard for me. So it's about 100 years before the time of Esther, okay? So this is what happens. So uh, 2 Kings 25 starting in verse one. So it says, in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign on the 10th day of the 10th month, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken down, And the whole army fled at night through the gate uh, between the two walls near the king's garden. Though the Babylonians were surrounding the city, they fled toward the Arabah. But the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence was pronounced on him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and they took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, commander of the imperial guard and official of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building... He burned down the whole Babylonian army under the commander of the imperial guard broke down the walls of Jerusalem. Nebuzaradan, the commander of the guard, carried into exile the people who remained in the city, along with the rest of the populace and those who had deserted to the king of Babylon. So, based on the scripture that we just read. Right? It's about 100 years prior to the events we're going to look at in Esther. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now Babylon today, that's modern Iraq. Okay. Uh, just to kind of help us see it all on the map. Invaded and destroys Jerusalem. He plunders the city. He takes most of the inhabitants captive back to Babylon. And like that that would have been other stories we all know that that group that went back, that's like Daniel, you know, Daniel, Daniel in the lion's den, you know, those guys. Okay, so he takes all these people back, including folks like that. Now, so that's about 100 years ago. So then you fast forward about 50 years, and now it's 539 B.C., and Cyrus appears. And a lot of us have heard of Cyrus. He's been written about. Cyrus was a Persian. Now, Cyrus, a Persian is modern Iran. Okay, Persia is Iran. Attacks Babylon and conquers it. And so Cyrus becomes king now. Cyrus, now here's an interesting thing. Cyrus wasn't a follower of God, but Cyrus kind of understood that religions were important to the people, and so he tried to accept, be very accepting of religion. Tells us in other places that God moved on his heart, but what it caused him to do was that during his reign, Cyrus allowed some of the Jews, some of the Israelites, to go back to Jerusalem. So that was like the first group. That, that goes back to, uh, to Jerusalem. So there's some, there are some Israelites who, you know, again, back in the hundred years before Esther, they, they all get captured, get carried off to Babylon. Now, some time later, about, well, in fact, we know from scripture, 70 years, okay, so it wasn't the minute Cyrus became king, a time later, he allows some to go. Now, you've kind of fast forward about another 50 years, and several Persian kings later, and now we come up to 486 BC and this is the time of Xerxes becoming king of of, of, uh, of, this, of of this area of the world okay so Xerxes, he's also called Asuarius, becomes king and so this is the king that is in charge he's the king throughout the book of Esther and his queen is Vashti okay so now at the time of of this book, at the time of Esther chapter one, Xerxes has been king for three years. okay And the, let's just remember this: all the people, the remaining Israelites, the one who have remained and are, are still in Babylon, remember it's been over hundred it's been now a hundred years since the, since the exile. So kind of logical to say that everybody that's involved in this story during the time of Esther was born in Babylon. Okay, and so uh, uh, including Esther. So it just kind of helps us kind of get a, a framework around who the, you know, who the people are, where they are, and when the timing occurred. So for us now to move forward, let's go to our next scripture for today. Let's look at Esther chapter 1, and then let's see what happens uh, as, we, as we begin uh, this series on Born for This. So Esther chapter 1. Okay, so this is what happened during the time of Xerxes, the Xerxes who ruled over 127 provinces stretching from India to Kush. At the time, King Xerxes reigned from his royal throne in the citadel of Susa, and in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The military leaders of Persia and Media, the princes and the nobles of the provinces, were present. For a full 180 days... He displayed the vast wealth of his kingdom, the splendor of his uh, the splendor of his glory of the splendor and glory of his majesty. When these days were over, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days the, in the enclosed garden of the king's palace for all the people from least to greatest who were with him in the citadel of Susa. The garden had hangings of white and blue linen fastened with cords of white linen and purple material to silver rings on marble pillars. There were couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and other costly stones. Wine was served in goblets of gold, each one different from the other, and the royal wine was abundant in keeping with the king's liberality. By the king's command, each guest was allowed to drink with no restrictions, for the king instructed the wine stewards to serve each man what he wished. Queen Vashti also gave a banquet for the women in the royal palace of King Xerxes, on the seventh day, when King Xerxes was in high spirits from wine, he commanded the seven eunuchs who served him, uh, Mehuman, Bistha, Harbona, Bigtha, Abagtha, Zethar, and Carcass, to bring before him Queen Vashti wearing her royal crown in order to display her beauty to the people and the nobles, for she was lovely to look at. But when the attendants delivered the king's command, Queen Vashti refused to come, and the king became furious and burned with anger. Since it was customary for the king to consult experts in matters of law and justice, he spoke with the wise men who understood the times and were closest to the king. Uh, Karshina, Sethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Meriz, Marsena, and uh, uh, Memukhan. The seven nobles of Persia and Media who had special access to the king and were highest in the kingdom. According to the law, what must be done to Queen Vashti, he asked. She has not obeyed the command of King Xerxes that the eunuchs have taken to her. Then Memucan replied in the presence of the king and the nobles, Queen Vashti has done wrong, not only against the king, but against all the nobles and the people of all the provinces of King Xerxes. For the queen's conduct will become known to all the women, so they will despise their husbands and say, King Xerxes commanded... Queen Vashti to be brought before him, but she would not come. This very day, the Persian and Median women of the nobility who have heard about the queen's conduct will respond to all the king's nobles in the same way. There will be no end of disrespect and discord. Therefore, if it pleases the king, let him issue a royal decree and let it be written in the law of Persia and Media, which cannot be repealed, that Vashti is never again to enter the presence of King Xerxes. Also, Let the king give her royal position to someone who is better than she. Then, when the king's edict is proclaimed throughout all his vast realm, all the women will respect their husbands from least to greatest. The king and his nobles were pleased with this advice. So he did as Mimikin proposed. He sent dispatches to all parts of the kingdom, to each province in its own script, and to each people in their own language, proclaiming, that every man should be ruler over his own household using his native tongue. All right, let's just take a quick recap of what we read. So, based on what we just read, well, first of all, I want to ask you a question. Based on what we just read, make some observations about Xerxes. What kind of guy is he? He likes to party. This is a guy that apparently knows how to throw, (laughs) throw a party and keep it going, right? Okay, so, yeah, let's just kind of walk through what we read in Esther. Okay, so in verse 4, it says they had this first event. It lasted 180 days. Wow. Okay, so, you know, you kind of think, well, what did they do for 180 days? Well, I guess, obviously, they don't give us all the detail. But you kind of think about, remember when the Super Bowl was here? Yeah. and, you know, so, like, all over the Twin Cities, there's events, and there's, you know, there's concerts, and there's displays, and, you know, they got the NFL experience. You know, they got all these different things going on. Or for some of us that are uh, old enough to remember, like a world's fair, you know, I mean, a big thing all over, but exhibits. Well, I mean, you got to think about if if they bring, the guy's got 127 provinces ruler over over, all of these people from all these provinces, like the leading people come, and there's this this exhibition for 180 days, you can imagine what he's had. He's had them bring the best things from all of those areas. I mean, whether it's animals, you know, elephants, and, you know, elephants to display or technology or products or produce. But it's got to be something to keep everybody interested in hanging around for 180 days. That's six months. So he's put on this big thing that's gone on for six months, displaying, it says, his vast wealth. Okay? Now, at the end of that 180 days, he holds a banquet for a smaller group of people because instead of this, because this thing with 180 days had to have been over a, a large area. Now, he's, he, inside, it says inside this enclosed garden, he holds a banquet that lasts seven days for those who are in the citadel with him. Now, because of what it says a little later about Vashti, what we can understand is this was for the men. The men were at a banquet that lasted seven days in the enclosed garden. It also tells us that in verse 9, that at the same time, his queen Vashti held a banquet, it says, inside the royal palace for the women. Okay, verse 10. On the seventh day, the last day of the banquet, after Xerxes and all the guys that were with him have been drinking, apparently because of what it says, excessively for seven days. Remember, Yeah, okay, Xerxes sends for Vashti to come to the guy party wearing her crown because he wants to show off her beauty. Vashti refuses. Xerxes becomes furious. Verse 13 and 14, Xerxes asks his seven wise men what he should do. Only one of them speaks up, who, by the way, was listed as number seven on the list. And generally, like in the Bible, you know, things are not just random. So this is like maybe the junior wise guy, you know. He's like the least of the seven. One guy speaks up, okay. He says, you know, that that what, uh, it's going to just cause a rebellion. Then all the women are going to start telling their husbands no. So that was his recommendation. And so he says, what you got to do is send a dispatch and basically telling everybody in the whole kingdom Vashti's no longer queen. She's banned from the king's presence. And men are rulers of their home. That's it. So today, as we begin this series, Born for This, and by the way, all of us were born to do something, right? All of us were created by God to do something. Okay? Part of our responsibility in being born for this is to get ourselves ready for this so that when it comes, we're ready ready for whatever opportunities or whatever responsibilities God is going to put in our path. Okay? So what we want to take a, the rest of our time to do this morning to do is look at and say, what can we learn from the behaviors of this pagan queen and pagan king about how to be ready for God's plans? How, what do we need to do? To, how to be ready for God's plans? Well, the first thing that we need to do to be ready is we need to learn to don't make rash decisions. Do you think Xerxes maybe made a rash decision? Yeah, yeah. Why? Okay, now think a minute. Why did Xerxes become so furious? Okay, well that may have helped cause. Yeah, he was drunk. Okay, but 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 behind it, why did he become furious? Because she pushed back and wasn't going his way. Okay, so so certainly one reason would be he he got told no, and he's probably not accustomed to being told no. By anybody about anything, why else might he have gotten so furious he's embarrassed he's got all his guys this is the party this is the seven day banquet that for the more intimate group right like his his team that's in the citadel right I mean this would kind of be like he's got the if it was the president, you know what I mean if but just trying to use current, not the people but just you know he's, he's got his cabinet and all you know. Uh, the, the leaders of Congress with him. I mean, it's not like, you know, everybody in town now, it's kind of the, the tighter group, okay? He's embarrassed. He got told no. He First, he doesn't like, but he also got told no in front of a bunch of people that he doesn't want to look bad in front of, right? Okay, you know, i just like to make an observation here. People seldom make really wise decisions when they're either mad or incapacitated. So in in this thing about don't make rash decisions, probably... Uh, it 's a good idea for us not to make big decisions when we 're either really angry or and I know we would never all be incapacitated, but you know let's let 's just but let's, as, as a is a something to observe with others okay What was his first bad decision? Well, his first bad decision is Xerxes has been partying for seven days. Imagine what kind of shape the guy 's in, both mentally, physically right, no matter. On the last day of the feast, Xerxes, who spent... Now, think about it. It was 180 days of, you know, Super Bowl thing. It was going to be a seven-day party. We're on the last day. So, for the last 186 days, okay, he's been showing off the vast wealth of his kingdom to everybody. That's what he's been doing. Now, on this final day, on this very last day, in front of this more select group, what does he decide to do? He decides now he wants to show off his most prized possession, his queen, to the nobles that are there with him. Verse 11 tells us that she was to be brought to him wearing her crown. Now, I don't want to send this in a funny direction, but there are various writings that would indicate that she was only to be wearing her crown, okay, in order to display her beauty because it says in verse 11 she was lovely to look at. Okay, so if that's true, a garden full of drunk men, what could go wrong here? What, what what, could possibly go wrong with this decision? Yeah, I mean, obviously, additionally, Xerxes did not consider the impact that this request, this demand, would have on his wife. Look, we know from Scripture Vas- Vashti refused to comply. Okay, and that leads us then to the second bad decision, Mimikin, one of the number seven advisor, tells him to ban Vashti and send a decree across the kingdom that men are rulers of their homes. Do you think Mimikin was faithfully serving the king with this advice? Why not? Yeah, what do you think? What do you think? What do you think might have been in his mind? When he gives him that advice. Yeah. Yeah. Do you you think there's any chance that when, when he saw this, that Mimikin thinks, thinks he's got like an ax to grind with his wife, you know? Okay. And, and, and he's looking for a way to solve his own personal problem. Maybe. I mean, whatever it is, right. It's interesting to understand the King had seven counselors. Only one of them spoke, and he was listed as number seven in the priority list. It doesn't say that any of the rest of them said a word. Okay? But we know this. We know that Xerxes went along with his advice. Look, the Bible talks pretty extensively about this. We should always seek wise counsel. First, from God. Second, from trusted godly Counselors and advisors. Proverbs 11:14 14 tells us for lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Now, it doesn't say one one advisor, through many advisors. Proverbs 12, 15. The way of a fool seems right to him, but the wise listen to advice and Proverbs 15:22 says plans fail for lack of counsel but with many advisors they succeed the scripture is really clear it repeats it many times it's we should all of us in our lives in order to not make rash foolish bad decisions when when it, when the path forward is not clear and we want we should first seek god but then we should seek wise counsel but it's multiple voices and that that wise counsel should actually be confirming what God has told you. If it's not, if it's different than what God has revealed to you as you seek him, then you need to go back and seek God some more to confirm. Okay? Xerxes listened to one advisor, not many. Xerxes didn't ask the rest if they agreed. And Xerxes certainly didn't inquire of God. As followers of Jesus, we need to be careful who we listen to. We need to be careful who we listen to because not everybody is trying to help us. Not everybody's trying to help us. Some people will tell you to take action in a way that is not necessarily best for you, but it serves their purposes. Serves their purposes. So we want to begin with prayer, asking God what to do, and godly counsel should actually confirm what God has already spoken to us. Second thing we need to do in order to be ready, is we need to stand strong in the face of ungodly opposition. We just discussed that Xerxes made a bad request, an improper request of Vashti. And her response actually revealed that she was more... Well, first of all, it revealed she wasn't drunk or hungover because she had her faculties to think clearly. And it actually reveals that she was probably more honorable than her husband because she knew well enough that this was a bad idea and that she shouldn't come. However, and you think about this, No matter how right it may have been, her denial infuriated Xerxes and her decision, while proper, came at a price. Came at a price. Vashti's refusal and the subsequent fallout from it led to a decree being sent to all the kingdom commanding women to be obedient to their husbands. All right, here's a good question for the group. So, can you legislate respect? No, you can't, can you? You can legislate obedience, right? I mean, the military, I mean, you know, rank. I mean, you can legislate, if you will, obedience, right? And you can put a, a price on disobedience, right? I mean, we have laws, murder, you know. We, I can't make you not, but I can, right? I, there's a price. Okay, so, so you can legislate obedience, but you cannot legislate respect. How, how, how does respect come about? You earn respect. You earn respect. Okay. And so and so we can know from with just what we know right there that this was gonna this whole decree was not proper. Right? But at the time, Xerxes is king, it's it stands, right? Look, as followers of Jesus, if we're gonna stand in the face of ungodly opposition, then we need to know how to prepare for that because Vashti even though she wasn't a follower, she stood in the face of, 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 of bad, of opposition. It did, it did cost a price, okay? But what we need to understand in our normal daily life, because very seldom do our, our, our needs to stand firm cost us the same as it did for Vashti. But what we need to understand is like what it tells us in Proverbs 15:1 that a gentle answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. When we face opposition, the first thing we ought to do besi- after we've prayed about it is we need to give a gentle answer because it's easy to stir up a fight with, with harsh words. It's easy to stir up anger. Philippians 4.6 even tells us, it says, don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation by prayer and petition and with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If we, if we trust it to God, he can bring peace into our hearts even as we stand firm. And finally, since we know that the enemy's constantly on the prowl and he's looking for ways to harm us, what we should do every day, and we've talked about this so many times, is start our day by putting on the armor of God. That will allow us to stand firm in front of of ungodly opposition. Ephesians 6, 8 through 10, I won't read it all, but you know it's putting on the armor of God. It's so that we can take our stand. We need to stand against ungodly opposition. Putting on the armor of God allows us to take our stand against the devil's schemes. Because we need the belt of truth. We need the breastplate of righteousness. Our feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. The shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. The sword of the spirit in prayer. Those are the the tools that God has given us to, uh, to equip us and enable us to stand. To stand. So finally, the third thing that we need to do to be ready. To be ready for the things that God has for us. Is we need to be patient. And we need to understand and trust that God's plans will be revealed at the proper time. What he has for us to do. God, God is working in your story and in mine even when we don't see it. That never means he's not working. Vashti's dema- excuse me, Xerxes' demand of Vashti was inappropriate and it was dishonoring to his wife. But God still used this poor decision to set other changes in motion. Vashti's exile, it wasn't deserved. But it opened the door for a new queen to be installed. The good news for us is that God was able to redeem even the bad decisions and the wrong choices of a pagan king and use them to accomplish his will And his plan for his people. So, as followers of Jesus, what should we do while we're waiting on God? Well, Psalm 46.10 says, be still. Be still and know that I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. We need to recognize Ecclesiastes 3.1 that says, there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. Sometimes the reason what we're born for hasn't happened yet is its time has not yet come. We get impatient. Even Jesus, there was a, it, that, that was true of him. Galatians 4.4 says that, but when the time set had fully come, God sent his son. It, it came in the fullness of time when all things had been brought together. So there is a time for everything in our lives. And God has a timing, and we need to be patient and wait for him to set it and make us and then show us and we move forward. And finally, we should walk in confidence because Ephesians 2.10 declares that you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. So we know that there is something for us. We know we were created to do those things. So what do we do in the meantime? Well, we keep growing spiritually, walking out our faith, doing the things each day that God puts in front of us every day of our life. God puts something in your path for you to do that day, every day. It may seem trivial. It may seem minor to you. But if God puts it there, it's, it's a chance for you to be faithful, faithful in little, faithful in much. We pick it up, we do it, and we move on to the next thing. And in God's time, all will be revealed because in Romans 8.28 It says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. So don't worry. You were born for this. You were born for this, and you can do it. Would you stand with me, and let's pray together as we get ready to close. Today, um, if you're waiting, if you're still waiting for what God has for you, today, just privately, I just want you to ask God, what next step do you need to take in order to be ready to do all that God has planned for you? What is the next step you need to take? Just ask him and hear what he tells you. Just a moment of silent prayer. Father, today you've heard our hearts or our desire is to be the people you've called us to be, Lord. To do the things that we were born to do. Lord, I pray that today you would just give each of us confidence in the plans you have for us. Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us, Lord, clarify for us, confirm in our spirits the next steps. Lord, your word says that You're a light unto our feet and a lamp to our path. God, we just entrust you to show us the next steps. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen.